Hi, my name's Adina. I'm a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. Hi, Adina. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Um, I want to start by doing a little bit of a, a step 11 meditation, if I may, um, just to ground us. Um, it's going to be very short. I told my husband it'd be five minutes. He was like, make it three minutes. So um, if you'd like to participate, it's uh, it's just a little uh, little body meditation. This uh, my, I'm going to talk about our bodies a lot. So if you feel comfortable, just close your eyes. Take a couple slow breaths. Noticing your breath, allowing your body to relax, allowing it to sink in, feel the weight of your body. Maybe your feet are on the floor, maybe your butt's on the chair, your back's resting against it. And as you become aware of your body, become aware also that you're surrounded by love and light at every moment. You may call the source of that love and light God. You may call it higher power. You may have another name for it. You may have no name for it. It may be the love of the group of people who are fellow members of Overeaters Anonymous, but whatever you call it, just be aware that there is love and light surrounding you right now. And that every time you breathe in, you're breathing in love and light, peace and kindness. Now I invite you to direct your attention to a part of your body that you wish were different. Maybe it's your chin, maybe you have some folds of skin or you think you have a double chin or you have little fat cheeks. Maybe it's your belly that's rounded instead of flat. Maybe it's your thighs that rub together when you walk. Maybe it's your arms that are jiggly. I invite you to place your hand or hands on that part of your body. Feel it. Feel its softness, its roundness. And now I invite you to breathe in the love, the light, the kindness of your higher power, the compassion, and to soak that body part in that love. Feel the love and light flow through your hands into that body part. Every single part of your body is precious. Every single part of your body is exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. When you're ready, just open your eyes. Thanks for indulging me in that. Um, it took me a long time to get to that place. 
the other thing I want to, I want to acknowledge a couple of things before I tell my story. One is I'm in a straight-sized body. Um, straight-sized refers to people who can shop in normal stores, normal, um, don't have to buy, you know, plus-size clothes. I'm just going to show my body what it looks like. You can see I'm not particularly skinny. I wish I could show my wearing an XL there in my shorts. I got those in Fred Meyer, they're so wonderful. But I just want to acknowledge that, um, that my talk is called Fat Serenity and um, a lot of fat activists and fat people would, um, I just want to acknowledge that I, I don't speak for people who are in you know a lot larger bodies and some people might find that offensive that I'm actually in a straight sized body talking about fat acceptance, but um, I'm doing it as kind of as part of a living amends to people who are in larger bodies that for such a long time I I shamed myself and I was fat phobic. Um, can you guys hear that background kind of noise? Okay, I'm gonna have to go outside. Hold on. Apologize for that. Can you still hear me okay? Yes, we can. Sorry, my husband has decided to do some sort of um, construction work right when I'm doing my talk. I don't understand why he did, but can you, is yeah. that better? I'm outside it, now. I'm there's through. a little bit of wind noise now, so if you can okay. kind of shield that, that would be awesome. But other than that, it's great. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so um, I wanted to acknowledge that, and I also wanted to acknowledge that, uh, you know, the opinions that I'm going to express are my own opinions, and they don't express... They don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Overeaters Anonymous. I think that Overeaters Anonymous, the, the, the central message is that we can recover from the physical problems that we have with food, the mental obsession that we have, and the spiritual malady through working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous in practicing the traditions. That's the message of Overeaters Anonymous. And I do want to carry that message um, I think for a long time I was really confused about what the message of Overeaters Anonymous was um, and what abstinence was because in part uh, when they changed the definition to uh, working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight as part of the definition of abstinence, I think that it's, you know, if you close your eyes and you say imagine someone at a healthy body weight, um, or if you imagine a BMI number that you think is a healthy body weight, um, you're going to imagine somebody who's in a quite a bit smaller body, probably. Um, probably somebody who's, uh, you know, in the normal BMI, which would be a BMI of under about um, 25, I think is overweight. Um, and, and that's really um, not true, that a healthy body weight, the healthiest body weights are actually, for women, the healthiest body weight you can be is between well, I shouldn't even say that. I'm not even going to say that. That's an outside issue. I'm just going to start telling you my story. So um, I grew up in Seattle. I had a pretty normal childhood, except for the fact that my mom was a compulsive eater, binger, and dieter, and she hated her body. Um, she always called herself fat. We always knew how much she weighed. She would go up to about 200 and go down to about 150. And she would go in that range. Um, I really didn't have a concept of like 
whether that was overweight or not. I just knew that she was fat. She was always fat and she wanted to be thin. And when I was about 12 and I started going through puberty, I put on some weight. Um, genetically, my family, um, half of my family comes from Wales and they're the Evans family. And if you look at pictures of the Evans family, they have wide hips and um, pretty thick thighs. Um, I think they were sturdy coal mining families um, and they had very wide hips and thick thighs. And then my, my other side of my family came from uh, Eastern Europe. Um, they were Ashkenazi Jews. And if you look at pictures of my grandmother and my great grandmother, they were what we say in Yiddish is zaftik, which I, I can't really translate into English. I guess it just may be voluptuous or curvaceous, ample, I don't know. Um, anyway, we were all in, all my, all my foremothers and I were in larger bodies. My mom used to call it the Evans curse. So we were cursed with wide hips and big thighs. It was a genetic thing. Um, so when I was 12 and started going through puberty, I started to um, get, my hips started getting wider. And uh, I looked in the mirror and I, you know, because of everything that I had been taught by my mom, I started to cry and I, and I called myself fat and I went downstairs crying and uh, said, I'm fat. <laughs> and uh, my mom got very, very angry and she, um, she made me up a glass of orange juice with Knox gelatin in it. I don't know if anybody else has ever um, seen that as like a weight loss thing, but apparently it is, like fills you up. <laughs> it, Margie's putting her thumb up. It not, I never heard, you know, Knox gelatin. Anyway, so um, that obviously wasn't uh, helpful. And uh, I remember I had to go to Sears and get Pretty Plus clothing. I don't know if anybody else... Uh, remembers pretty plus, but they were half sizes. So instead of size 12, you would get 12 and a half, like kids, eight and a half, nine and a half, 10 and a half. So I wore pretty plus jeans, I remember in like sixth grade, seventh grade. And um, I really hate, I started hating my body and hating my hair. People made fun of my hair. They call me Brillo head. Um, you know, and of course, like many of us, looking back at pictures of myself, I, I wasn't fat at all. Um, but I was made fun of for being fat, for being plump, for being pretty plus, for being overweight. Um, I'm gonna have to do something else. I'm so sorry about this. I had no idea. Just let me mute myself. Just give me one minute. Okay, anyway, back to what I was saying. So um, obviously in ninth grade or so, I, I, I decided I would just go on a diet. Um, and, and it was very easy to go on a diet because my mom dieted all the time. So from the time I was like in ninth grade through uh, the time I discovered chain smoking, I, I dieted and I exercised. I went to aerobics classes. It was, you know, the 70s and 80s. 
Um, I did so many different diet books, Think Slim, Be Slim, uh, Help Lord, The Devil Wants Me Fat, uh, several weigh and pay programs. And these all uh, involve different ways to shrink my body. And what would happen is I would go on these diets to shrink my body and I would feel a sense of ease and comfort. So, you know, if we look in the doctor's opinion and we read this part where it says, uh, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So this would happen to me over and over again. I would go on a diet and I would feel a sense of ease and comfort. I would feel like I was in control of my body and my body would shrink and I would be actually consuming a deficit of calories, less calories than my body actually needed. And what would happen is I would develop a phenomenon of craving. I would start thinking about all of those forbidden foods that I couldn't eat. Uh, all of those sugary treats and deliciousness that I couldn't have. And eventually I would start dreaming about, you know, once I hit my goal weight, I would be able to eat those foods. So I would do that. And of course, once I got to my goal weight or even before I got to my goal weight, I would, I would begin to overeat those foods again. And um, I was obsessed with them. I had a mental obsession with them. Um, so I gained more weight after my first diet. I, I was heavier than I was, but I didn't realize that the diet was the cause of my weight gain. I thought that uh, I was just weak-willed, you know, like it says in OA 12 and 12, you know, there's so many descriptions of this phenomenon. Um, horrified by what we were doing to ourselves with food, we became obsessed with diets. We spent lots of money on weight loss schemes. We bought all sorts of appetite suppressants. We joined diet clubs. All of this we did willingly, hoping we could still eat all we wanted and be free of the compulsion. There's no way to be free of the compulsion. For me, there was no way to be free of that compulsion because I always wanted to lose weight. So diet after diet after diet was followed by gaining more weight. And in fact, it is a fact in uh, the world that the percentage of people who lose a significant amount of weight on a diet or restricting their food intake and keep it off is about 3% at most. And uh, I didn't know that, right? Nobody told me that. And even if they had told me that, I would have said, well, it doesn't apply to me. I've got to lose weight. Um, I could not differentiate the true from the false. So 28 years ago, I had a baby um, in the beginning of 1992, and I had been on this, you know, binge diet, binge diet, binge diet cycle for, you know, at least half my life at that point, since I was 14, I had been binging, dieting, binging, dieting. And so when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, um, and I came to OA because I read one of those Ann Landers advice columns, and it said that they had given her a statue of a thin person. And I, uh, to thank her for, for spreading the word about OA. 
Um, and so I, uh, I thought, well, I'll be thin by going to OA. So I went to OA and my first meeting, I saw this woman who was thin and she said she hadn't eaten sugar in 10 years. And I was like, oh, she has what I want. She's thin. I didn't know anything else about her. I didn't know about the steps. I didn't know about God. I didn't know about self-will. So I went to her and I said, could you sponsor me? Tell me what this is all about, you know? And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. And I said, how much weight have you lost? And she said, well, I'm bulimic. So I haven't actually lost that much weight. Um, but I did like crash my car while I was binging. So um, I know about binge eating. So I was disappointed that she was not somebody who had lost a lot of weight, but there were a lot of people in OA who would pass around their before and after pictures, just like they had done in, you know, the weigh and pay programs. Um, so I thought, well, I'll get skinny. So um, I, uh, she, she told me to get on my knees and ask my higher power uh, to show me what my plan of eating would be. This was in 92. Uh, and I didn't really have a higher power. So I got on my knees and I just thought, well, I, I shouldn't eat all of my binge foods because these are foods, you know, like it says in here, um, you know, when it differentiates between a normal eater and a, and a, a compulsive eater, it says we were, we were compelled to eat another serving and then another and another. Um, I think it's in a, this step too, I can't remember where it is. You know what it is. It's in that OA 12 and 12, like the first or second step. It says some of us, normal eaters eat one serving and then they forget about it and they go on with their lives. But compulsive eaters eat another serving and another and another. And indeed that was exactly what I had done. And the foods that I would eat, uh, that I would binge on were, you know, pints of ice cream, lots and lots of chocolate chip cookies, uh, chocolate, um, donuts, you know, baked goods, blah, 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 all that stuff. Anything that was like sugar, flour, and fat combined. I didn't really like potato chips and stuff. I know a lot of people do, but I still don't care for them. Um, anyway, and my cycle was, you know, I would, I would intend to start a new like healthy eating plan the next day. And so I would go and buy all of these binge foods and binge on them because they were the fun foods. They were the nice, exciting foods. And I really thought they were evil. And so I needed to eliminate them because they're fattening and I couldn't stop eating them. And so I got abstinent. I abstained from those foods and I ate three meals a day. Um, and I lost some weight because I wasn't binging or dieting. Um, and I was abstinent for about 18 months. I thought I was like the bee's knees. Um, I did the steps. I began to sponsor women. Um, and then I got pregnant and I was like, oh, nobody will know that I'm, I'm going to gain weight because I'm going to be pregnant. So I started eating the binge foods again. Um, and I was in a relapse. And I, after I had my second child, um, I realized I was fat again. I was like, oh, you know, I got to go back to OA. I got to go back to OA. So I went back to OA and I got on my abstinence again and I went back to, uh, you know, I'd lost the weight and I was abstaining. And um, this was a cycle that was repeated, I would say, in, in 28 years in Overeaters Anonymous, this cycle went on for about one, two, three, four, maybe five or six times. So the, the times in between the relapse got longer and longer. Um, and in fact, uh, my most recent period of abstaining from sugar was about 10 and a half years. Um, 
But in between those, uh, I would uh, binge. Um, at the time, I didn't realize that I was doing the same exact cycle as I had been doing with dieting, but I was using OA as a diet. I was using OA by restricting those foods to um, lose weight. Now I did do the steps and I got a wonderful emotional recovery and spiritual recovery. Um, so what happened was um, I, I started watching people in OA and I, I started seeing how uh, the cycle was, I, I didn't understand how uh, people who, I, I, I saw a lot of people leave OA. Um, I saw a lot of people go into multiple relapses. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know exactly. I just felt like there was something missing. I felt like there was a missing piece, even though I, I felt like I was enjoying a lot of recovery. Um, I had sponsees who just could not stay away from uh, sugar, or if they didn't eat sugar, they would eat sugar-free stuff. And these are people who had years in program, like years in, and I don't know what happened, but I, I, I co-sponsor with a woman who has 30 years in OA. And I don't know, we were talking about some kind of slip that she had where she ate some stuff she didn't want to. And she said, um, you know, if I were just in fit spiritual condition, I, I wouldn't want to eat this inappropriate food. And I, something clicked in my head and I said, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe it. I don't, I think that, I think fat people can be in fit spiritual condition and this whole thing about fat serenity, there's something, there's something not right in my opinion. I can't explain it to you, but I saw people that I considered to be spiritual giants go into this relapse where they would be binging on Dairy Queen. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, I'm also a member of another fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not going to talk about it because it's an outside issue, but I didn't see that in that program. So what happened was I had menopause and I started to gain weight. I was eating the same... I'm going to, I'm going to, I see that she can still hear the background noise. I'm going to go outside again. I'm really sorry about this. I'm so sorry. Hold on. I think they went outside. Hopefully you can't hear them anymore. I'm really sorry. Um, anyway, Trish says she can still, she can hear loud talking in the background. Okay. So I started to gain weight in menopause. Um, I'm 56, and this was a few years ago, and I was pretty much eating the same thing, um, but I started to put on weight, and I realized that I wasn't happy with, I, I felt like I was overweight, um, and uh, I decided to go on a way to measure food plan, um, which is one of the tools um, that we have in Overeaters Anonymous, is weighed and measured. Um, so I, I looked around for a, a nutritionist, to try to help me with that. And um, one of the problems that I had was most nutritionists wanted, who were, who were specialists in eating disorders, wanted me to eat a variety of foods. 
um, they didn't want me to restrict any food group at all. Um, and this was a problem for a lot of people in OA in the area where they would, they would go to a nutritionist and the nutritionist would say, well, you know, it's really not good for you to be restricting these foods. And we would be like, well, you just don't understand the addiction. You don't understand the sugar addiction. You don't understand food addiction. We've got to find someone. We've got to, I got to find a nutritionist who, who understands this, this addiction. Um, and I could really only find one and she was like serving all the people in my OA group. So I got a plan of eating from her and I did a way to measure food plan and I did lose some weight. And um, then I was doing some traveling and I decided to just quit doing that. And I kind of went back to the weight that I had been. Um, and around this time, and, and luckily I didn't binge, you know, I, I still wasn't eating any sweets. Um, but we were going on a trip around the world and I really didn't want to weigh and measure around the world. But I, you know, every time we went out to a place, there were really delicious foods that I did not eat because uh, I felt like I couldn't eat them without going crazy, without going down that road. Because um, that had happened to me so many times. Um, so when we came back to Seattle, um, my daughter told me that she had an eating disorder. She told me that she had been bulimic for five years. And my first thought was, I don't want her to come to OA. And it was just this instinctive thought. People in OA are so mean to themselves. Um, I know this is a generalization, but it's, so, it's such a paradox. You know, we're so loving to each other, so kind. Uh, so accepting, but we're so hard on ourselves. Um, I, I've seen lots of people in Overeaters Anonymous over the years who actually have eating disorders and are in OA and are practicing their eating disorder in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and I didn't want that to happen to her. Um, so that was really weird. She didn't want to go to OA anyway because she thinks 12-step programs are all about God and she doesn't like God, you know, and I'm like, that's cool. So um, she started getting some help from, from outside issues and um, she started sharing with me some podcasts and some things that um, I'm not going to share with you because, um, you know, they're outside issues, but... Um, One of the things that, that, that AA is very big on is that they cooperate widely with the medical profession and with, with people of science. And um, there's a lot of eating disorder science around that OA ignores. Um, so I was listening to this podcast and uh, there was, she, she was like, oh, listen to this podcast. And it was, a, it was a nutritionist who specialized in menopause and nutrition and body image. And I was like, ooh, menopause, that's me, weight gain and menopause. So I listened to this podcast and this woman says, you know this thing around the middle that you get during menopause? A lot of people call it the, um, what do they call it, the spare tire? She says, I call that the life preserver because your body knows that it needs more fat during menopause, because when your ovaries, pardon me for all the men here, but when your ovaries start shutting down and produce less estrogen, estrogen is stored in your body, in your fat. And if you have a higher BMI, 
you will actually have, this is a scientific fact, an easier time in menopause. Your skin won't get as dry, your lady parts won't get as dry, you won't have as many problems with osteoporosis, um, you won't have as many hot flashes, your body is protecting you. It's a life preserver. And when I heard that, I just broke down and started sobbing about how mean I had been to my body all of these years, wanting to change its size, wanting to change its shape. I learned it from my mom. I learned it from our culture. I believe in this culture and I believe in, in, in some parts of this fellowship, there is a hierarchy of bodies. Only thin people are asked to speak a lot of times in OA events. People pass around before and after pictures like there was something wrong with their bodies before. I know this may be, and I don't, one of the things I wanna say is I do not wanna stir up controversy. I believe in the unity of the fellowship and I know that Overeaters Anonymous saved my life, but I was just so mean to my body. So I call up this nutritionist and I have a little Skype with her and um, Oh, first I looked at her website and she had, and I haven't eaten any of my binge foods for 10 and a half years at this point. So I, 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 I look at her thing and she has all these recipes for healthy food. And the first one is for chocolate chip scones. And I just started crying and sobbing. So I called her up and I was like, oh my God, life preserver, blah, blah, blah. I'm crying and sobbing. And you know, I haven't eaten these foods. I, uh, she said, those are your fear foods. And, um, that's a component of disordered eating that we call orthorexia. And she said, would you like to have a chocolate chip scone? And I was like, I'm scared to eat it. I'm going to go crazy. If I try to eat, if I eat ice cream, I'm going to weigh 1200 pounds. I'm going to be in my bed. I'm not going to move. And I learned that um, for me, I had been binging because of the deprivation, because of the dieting. I had binged, not because I'm a sugar addict, which I identify myself as for 10 and a half years, but because I was scared to eat those foods. And I had to eat as much of them as I could because I knew they were bad. I've written a lot of skits for Overeaters Anonymous for conventions over the years. And uh, many times the binge foods are the villains and they come and say, oh, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. And then Bingerella or whoever it is, no, I mustn't eat the binge foods. And then they binge. Um, because I have binge eating disorder. And binge eating disorder is caused by restricting. It's caused by dieting. I didn't know that. So Overeaters Anonymous is, is, a, is an organization that I, in many ways, I owe my life to. The 12 steps taught me to react uh, with patience, tolerance, kindness, and love to myself, to pause when agitated, um, to turn to a higher power. Um, it taught me what it says on page 55 of the big book, which is um, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form of another, it is there. Um, I worshiped BNSI 6. 
And when I say worship, I mean, I put it as a higher worth than my sanity, than my, my self-esteem. Um, I'm sorry. Hold on for one second. Hold on. Thanks, Adina. You're awesome. I'm so sorry. I really apologize. I had no, I would have gone to another house if I had known this was going to happen. Um, anyway, I, 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 I've been looking at passages in the big book and now seeing how my compulsion to diet, my compulsion to lose weight has actually, um, been the most cunning and baffling and powerful factor in my entire journey of recovery. Um, recently, we were reading about the man of 30. I don't know if you uh, know this part. Uh, this man of 30 who was doing a great deal of spree drinking and he wanted to succeed in business, so he quit drinking. Um, and he made, his, he made his, up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. That was like me and Overeaters Anonymous. Part of my abstinence was abstaining from dieting. And yet when I put on that weight in menopause, I immediately want to go on a way to measure food plan and thank God I didn't binge. But maybe if I had, it would have, you know, taught me a lesson. I don't know. So, um, I pretty much through these various things that happened, um, through realizing that um, I, she says the quote is from the AA big book. Yeah, I'm quoting all my, all my literature quotes are either from the big book or the, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, but, you know, I, I started to have a new spiritual awakening and the definition of a psychic change that Dr. Jung has is that ideas and attitudes that once were the guiding forces of these people were suddenly cast to one side and a whole new set of ideas started to dominate them. And that's what's happened to me. Um, the idea that, um, that, that, that these binge foods are evil so anyway, what happened was I started finally listening to a nutritionist who was a specialist in eating disorders, and I started eating these foods. And I find that, in fact, what it says here, all of this we did willingly, hoping we could still eat all we wanted and be free of the compulsion. That's the story of my life today. I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body. I work the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. I have to face my fear of being fat, that it is an evil and corroding thread that runs through my entire life, that I have a deep-seated fat phobia. So um, I started talking like this in meetings, and I thought people were going to think I had gone off the rails because I had identified as a sugar addict for so long, um, but I, I couldn't do it anymore. I told people I changed my abstinence. It used to be I abstained from binging, grazing, dieting, all sweets, sugar, and desserts one day at a time. 
and uh, this is the front of my book that I've had for a long time, and I had written this as my absence. I crossed it out and I wrote this. I abstain from beating up on myself. I abstain from doing anything perfectly. I got to say that I got some of those ideas from this speaker who had come to Region 1 a few years ago. You may remember her. She was really zesty. Um, and she had three things. I abstain from negative self-talk. I abstain from leaving OA, and I abstain from doing it perfectly. Um, and I was like, oh, I think I'll have to do that because I cannot control my food and my weight. And lo and behold, right at the beginning of the OA step one, it says, once we have become teachable, we can give up old thought and behavior patterns that have failed us in the past, beginning with our attempts to control our eating and our weight. How did I not read that in, in 28 years? in OA before. Where did I not see that? So I thought people would think that I had gone off the rails um, as I spoke and shared about this in meetings. I was also posting a bunch of stuff on Facebook, um, really owning the body that I have. Um, and I, I feel like I own amends because when the new definition of abstinence came out, uh, working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Um, they asked for submissions to Lifeline, to the Lifeline magazine on what that meant. And I wrote a piece to Lifeline as if I had been fat, um, as if I had been, um, I find the word obese to be really offensive. I don't think that, um, I don't, I, I, I think it's, 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 a really offensive insult word. I know the medical community uses it, but um, you know, the being being in the obese category means you have a BMI of 30. If you look scientifically at the women who live the longest and have the least medical problems, their BMI is 25 to 30, which is overweight to obese. So I don't like that word. But anyway, uh, I had written a, a thing to Lifeline. Um, talking about having been fat and what it meant to be fat. And I had never been fat. It was a fat phobic, fat shaming piece of lies. And um, I really regret writing that. And um, I'm really, really sorry to the people who have to live in large bodies, who get to live in large bodies because you guys matter. And your bodies are not disfigured and they're not maimed. You're made in the image and likeness of God. And bodies come in all shapes and sizes. And I'm sick and tired of people fat shaming and overeaters anonymous. And that article for Lifeline got published in the abstinence book. And I want to keep speaking out against fat phobia and overeaters anonymous as a way of making amends to women who are in larger bodies. Because there's nothing wrong with you. I think that's the end. I think it's a 10 minute break now. Is that right? I don't know what to, where Trish is. She's muted. I'll just keep talking. So uh, as part of that, um, I thought people would think I was insane. So uh, 
but I, I couldn't do anything else as, as a way of making amends. So uh, people started contacting me, not a lot of people, but a number of people started contacting me and saying, hey, Adina, you know, you're talking about fat serenity and it's not an insult. It's reclaiming the term fat. And, you know, we can work the steps and work the program and, and not eat compulsively. I thought I was going to have to leave OA. I called this woman who who uh, is is in our inner group, and I was like, "Here's what I think. I I think it's blah blah fat phobic blah 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 blah. I think I'm gonna have to leave away." And she goes, "Well, do you want to eat compulsively?" And I said, "No." And she goes, "Well, that's the only requirement for membership in in OA." And I was like, "Okay," but I can't stop talking about this, and um. I'm just going to keep talking about it, I guess. And, and I don't want to stir up controversy, but we have a little meeting that's um, called, we call it Fat Serenity, although there's a lot of controversy around whether we should call it that or not. Uh, it's not really published on the website yet, but uh, we're trying to decide whether we will or not. And, uh, you know, several people have, you know, said it's been helpful to have this attitude that, you know, we work the steps I don't know what happened to Trish. I'll read you our, our script. It's from, it, it's actually from, everything is from OA literature. Um, Overeaters Anonymous describes itself as a community of people who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from unhealthy relationships with food and body image. That's a quote from OA.org. In Fat Serenity, we focus on working the 12 steps and 12 traditions of OA in the belief that quote, once the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. We give up old thought and behavior patterns that have failed us in the past, beginning with our attempts to control our eating and our weight. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. No, Trish says it's time for a break. So we believe that the definition of healthy body weight, where'd it go, is an outside issue. Um, and that if you wanna know uh, whether or not you have a healthy body weight, you should consult a medical professional or a nutritionist. And there are weight inclusive health professionals out there. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. I'm a compulsive overeater. I wrote hey, Jacqueline. it in the chat actually. And like, I just wanna disclaim that I am not trying to be controversial either. I just, um, so when the new 12 and 12 came out, um, I noticed from doing step study that they took out this section that talked about um, basically working through the steps, whether whether or not you're consistently abstinent. Yes, yes, I did notice that too. I noticed that and I just, like for me personally, my experience is I needed to work the steps. I might've been still in my compulsion, but every bit of step work I did brought me to my abstinence today. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, what if there's an opinion about that and or a statement, I'd, I just thought it was interesting that they took that out. And uh, I, I'm also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and we, I mean, it seems to be like a sponsorship sort of mm -hmm. in with people. And so maybe we don't think about that. I'm going to stop talking. Thanks for letting me no, share. No, I totally know what you're saying. And um, I'm just putting my number in the chat again, because a couple of people asked me for it and I just want to put it publicly. Um, so, 
the thing that I find really interesting, yeah, it says ideally we take our step four inventory after we have stopped eating compulsively so that we may have the clarity of mind to be thorough in our self-examination. By having a plan of eating, working with a sponsor and using all of OA's other tools, we are better able to become and stay abstinent one day at a time while doing our fourth step. Um, the problem that I had with that was that for me, I was confused between abstinence and dieting. And so when I was abstinent, and in this mode where I was like, oh, I've got it now, I've got, I'm under control, you know, I'm losing weight. I was using a different drug. Um, and I was feeling the sense of ease and comfort that came from losing a few pounds. And so that's not abstinence. That's not spiritual recovery. Um, it's way trickier with food. Like with AA, you just stop drinking alcohol and it says in the AA first step, that these, these steps are things that no alcoholic who's still drinking can dream of doing. Um, but we certainly can work the steps, whether we're, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's different opinions about it, but um, I am concerned when I see people practicing disordered eating behaviors and calling it abstinence and I'm not an expert on disordered eating. I do have an eating disorder and I work with a nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders. And I think that's important because compulsive dieting, restricting and orthorexia are eating disorders. They are recognized as eating disorders. So that's all I'm saying. I, I, it's, it's very controversial, obviously, because this whole thing about sugar addiction and, and people identifying as sugar addicts, and people can do what they want. Everybody can do what they want. The steps are the only really in order to recover. It says once the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. There's a lot more controversy in OA than um, there is in AA. And it's because different people have different ways of eating um, and, and are trying different things to recover from, uh, you know, eating disorders take so many different forms. Um, So it, I guess it's necessarily controversial. It's like, what can we unite around? What can we practice tradition one around? It seems like the only thing we can unite around is the 12 steps. You know, it's the, the, the purpose of the big book is to help you find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. So you have to know what your problem is, and then you have to, you know, find a power greater than yourself. Okay, so Adina, we're back yeah. to, um, we're back okay. to being on time to open. Okay. Is your second person here? Um, I don't think so. So maybe, um, maybe Sh Sherry, will you, are you ready to speak? And then maybe after that, if Holly's not on, she may have a sketchy internet connection. Hmm. Then uh, we'll have Q&A. Is that okay? That's fine with me. I'm going to mute everyone if I can remember how to do that. But, uh, so watch out if I mute you. There, mute all. So go ahead, Adina, unmute yourself and begin sharing. And then I do see that Madonna has her hand up. 
And again, just to warn everyone, be clear, uh, in keeping with the, with the traditions of the, our tradition of anonymity, please name yourself whatever you're comfortable being called. Please, please, please. Um, so um, that we don't uh, call you by a name that you don't want shared. I, I, I would like to introduce my friend Sherry uh, as a supplemental speaker. Uh, she's one of the co-founders of uh, our group, which um, I think we're trying to become an OA meeting to serve people uh, to recover from body dysmorphia and um, disordered eating. So uh, there you go. Take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Adina. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, my name is Sherry, and I live in Seattle. And, and I, um, I've known Adina just uh, peripherally for probably, I don't know, 20 years. Um, I started OA in 2001. Um, and OA has brought so much to my life. I don't, I couldn't explain, you know, I get 20 minutes to tell my story, but I do want to say that um, OA has changed my life. The fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous has changed my life. Um, uh, so I guess I wanted to point out one thing about the, the term or the term or the whatever this name is, fat serenity. I hate that term. I've hated it since the first time I heard it. Every time I hear it, it's like a slap in the face. Um, and I don't know what other people think of it. And I think it's one of these things where people don't mean to be offensive, but it's offensive, you know? And what I've been, you know, I've been, it's been coming up, you know, stuff out of the big book has been popping in my head as, as I listened to Adina about the spiritual solution that, you know, whether our substance is food or alcohol or whatever, the solution is spiritual. However, if you say fat serenity is not a good thing, right? Basically, it means, oh, you're spiritual. You've wow, you're, you're a spiritual giant, but you're fat, so you don't matter. Your experience doesn't matter, you know? You're not what I want, you know? And, and I don't think that comes from OA. I think that's fat phobia. That's everywhere around us every day, and it's even internalized. It's internalized fat phobia. And I know that I have it, uh, and I've been overweight most of my life, pretty much, except for four years when I restricted in OA. Um, the fear of fat is so huge. Like, it's a huge thing. It's like, it's incredible how pervasive it is. Um, anyway, I just wanted to talk about that, that, you know, that term, fat serenity, is not something that I have ever thrown around. And whenever I heard it, it just made my skin crawl. Um, because is, aren't we here for a spiritual experience? Aren't we here to, to have a spiritual experience and to learn to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and our fellow 
human beings. That's what we're here for. And it's not like I'm going to be able to do that if I am completely obsessed with food, right? There has to be a spiritual peace. And what does serenity mean? It means, or sobriety. They're similar, right? Sobriety is like, you know, being, not being drunk, right? Serenity is not being totally out of your mind with whatever you're obsessed with. Um, and I know that like, I came in 2001, I was about 30 years old. Um, I was desperate. I was so afraid. I thought I was going to die. I mean, I, my family was going through all kinds of, you know, my, my uncles and aunt, my uncles and my grandma were starting to get sick and die. Um, you know, things were happening. I didn't have control over, you know, I was afraid I was going to die when I was 52 because my uncle died when he was 52. And I was like, I'm 30. I want to live longer than that, you know, but I took that as something I needed to do to fix it. Right. I need to fix this. Who knows how many days we have on the earth? You know, I mean, it's like, I couldn't fix that. I wouldn't be able to control the hour of my death or the reason that I died, but that's the way I approached life from the time I was a young kid was, I gotta grab control of this. You know, something feels uncomfortable. I have feelings I don't understand or things are happening that make me feel uncomfortable. I need to grab control. And the way that I did it was through comforting myself. And what was the most simple thing? Food, right? So I learned to comfort myself with food from a young age. I learned it from my family. I don't just come out of a vacuum. I have a family. I come from somewhere. I have DNA that has mapped my body and told my body what's going to happen, you know, what I'm going to look like. Um, so it's not as if I created this body that likes to hold on to weight and that it is my it is my fault that I am that I tend to hold on to weight although it seems like by everything that we see uh, and hear out in the world I ought to be able to change that for myself permanently what is wrong with you that you don't get off your ass move and stop eating so much. This is the message, right? Um, it's a stereotype, you know? Um, to some degree, we can change things, but there's always this boomerang effect. I mean, like Adina mentioned, 3% of people that lose weight keep it off, you know, like significant weight for five years. They don't even go beyond that. So it's like, am I going to spend the rest of my life struggling with my genetics, hating myself, blaming myself, or am I going to find another way, another way to find meaning and uh, purpose in my life? So I'll go back a little bit. I came to OA in 2001. I came in through a weight measured food plan, weight measured group. Uh, it took me six months to get a sponsor. 
I got a sponsor. She took me through the first three steps in one month. And I, and I followed that food plan and I was terrified because I, I didn't think I could do it for 30 days, right? I did it. And I, lo- I think I lost 23 pounds. I mean, I was younger then, but like 23 pounds in a month, right? My sponsor relapsed. So suddenly I'm at step three. I'm on this weight and measured food plan. My sponsor has poof, gone. I didn't know that could happen. And, um, I didn't know what to do. So I hope we're okay to mention foods here, but I went out and got a pint of Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to try this out. Well, am I really addicted to sugar or not? You know, and it really, it really did make me sick, but um, I had been off sugar and I had been restricting for a month. Um, Anyway, I didn't get another sponsor for 18 months. I took myself through my fourth step inventory without any help because that's what I do. I don't ask for help. I take control. I take charge, you know, and make things happen. But I did lose 130 pounds in about just over a year by myself, no sponsor, trying to do my fourth step. I mean, we know that doing a fourth step is supposed to be a way of connecting and finding community, right? Finding support. But I didn't know that that's what was so important at that time. Anyway, um, 130 pounds later, I was thin-ish, you know? I don't, I've never been really thin, you know? Like, even, even eating on a weighed and measured food plan for more than a year, I, I wouldn't say I was slim, you know? I was terrified. I was freaked out. I did not know. I had never lived in a body as an adult that was that was that size. So I felt like a freak and I had no support. Well, that didn't work. So what happened next? Uh, losing Losing track of my trajectory here, but I did keep the weight off. I did keep the weight off, but I went through a lot of different sponsors. I don't feel like I ever went through the spiritual change at that point. What I did was I restricted my food and I changed my thinking and I started to believe that I was this bad person who had tortured my body all my life and that this food plan was gonna save me, right? Well, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff because I don't have forever here. But um, so I was able to maintain that weight loss for about four years. Um, enough where I started to feel comfortable in that body. You know, I started to, under- to feel like, yeah, at home in that body, right? Well, then there was a breakup, you know, and... I did a face plant in the bakery section and it didn't take long, you know, for me to put back on a lot of weight. And this is a typical story, right? I restricted for what, four years? I restricted for four years. Um, Of course I had an equal and opposite reaction. Um, 
I put everything back on and more. And uh, I found Al-Anon though. And I know that's an outside issue, but it relates because I started to, to want to know why am I, you know, why do I need so much comfort? You know, why do I keep going to food for comfort? And I realized it had to do with the pain of being in relationship with other people because I didn't know how to have boundaries with people. I didn't want to have relationships with people because they were painful. So I just had a relationship with myself and my food. And uh, so, but that was a, that was a big turning point because I started to think about, I want other things in my life besides my career. I might want a relationship. I might want a family, you know, that's a part of a normal life. And, um, but for me as a fat person, it's like, oh, you don't deserve that. I mean, all these messages, I mean, I've been fat my whole life, except for like little blips here, here and there, but all these messages tell you, if you have this body type, then you don't deserve, you know, who are you to think anybody would ever be interested in having sex with you? You know, so I really didn't try to pursue men ever because I just figured I'd get rejected. So I didn't even try. Um, and I know like, I know that it's not all about being sexy and stuff, but it, it's important like as a woman to feel like a woman or a man, feel like a man or, you know, to feel that you can express your sexuality. It's really important for people. And um, at 50, I can say this. Anyway, um, so I don't know how much time has gone by. I, I had a timer. I didn't set it. But anyway, um, so I'm going to keep going because Holly hasn't showed up. So just keep okay. going. All right. So I'm going to fast forward, I guess, a little bit to, um, to um, I, I never left OA. I stayed in OA no matter what my body looked like, um, no matter if I was binging or not binging or, you know, but after even, you know, all the time I was thinking, I got to get back to that body that I had, you know, for that short time. I got to have it. I want that body again, you know. I didn't know any other way to get there except through OA. And by that time, I feel like, um, you know, I had allowed my spiritual self to kind of catch up because the, the, the craziness of focusing on the food is sort of like we bring diet culture into OA with us. We bring these values of, you know, thin is good and, and some of these other beliefs with us into OA. And I believe that some of the harshness that comes out towards ourselves. It's just that internalized um, message that fat, you're fat, you're not worth anything. If you're fat, you don't deserve anything. You know, it's a, anyway, I, I've, I've been through a lot. I mean, I'm the typical fat person. I was a fat child. I was a fat teenager. I was a fat young adult, you know, I've been, through a lot of bullying, and I know a lot of people in OA have. Um, and I put up with a lot of it too. But now that I'm 
50, almost 50, I'm not putting up with that anymore. So the turning point came for me when um, I, I had a sponsor for a good number of years and we worked on the big book and we did a small group um, step study and uh, she would always encourage me to read to read the, the parts about what is what really is recovery and um, it wasn't like a narrow point of view on what recovery was and it wasn't about how you looked although that was part of it you know losing a little weight was part of eating better right but um, now I see the things that she pointed out to me have a lot, you know, could be seen more than one way. Um, so we agnostics, um, page 44 has a section and there's a, there's a definition of a sobriety. I couldn't find it in the big book, but my big book sponsor would always tell me that, you know, what's the definition of food sobriety? You know, is it being, is it looking the way that you think you should look or, or is it being around those, those things that used to make you crazy and not needing them, not wanting them, you know? I mean, to me, that's sanity, that's serenity. It's, it's I'm satisfied. I've, I've had what I needed and I'm done. You know, that's today, that's sobriety. Um, so what is our goal in, in OA? Is our goal the same as diet culture? Is it the same? Is it that thin is good and fat is bad? I don't think so. But sometimes in some places, it seems like that's, that's the value that we have. But I think, you know, for me, the, the goal of being free of compulsive eating, being free of the obsession of the mind and the you know, the, the compulsion of the body, that's sobriety. It doesn't have a lot to do with, you know, the size pants I'm wearing. Um, besides, if, like Adina pointed out, if the spiritual is cleaned up, the other things come along with it. So it's sort of like going, af going after a thin body makes it move further away for me. It's always been like that. If I go after it, it moves. The goal always moves, you know? It's never enough. I'm never thin enough or whatever. Um, so last year, I, um, so I, I did end my relationship with my big book sponsor two, three years ago. It just, uh, she wasn't as available as she had been and we'd already gone through the steps and it just wasn't really working anymore. Um, we're still in touch, but, um, so I went without a sponsor for a while and then I decided, oh, I've, I've gotta get, I've gotta get control of this, you know, thing again. So I heard someone speak on a New Year's Day uh, marathon on the phone and I thought, okay, I could work with her. So I started being sponsored by someone over the phone I'd never met. Um, and she told me immediately that I needed to be abstinent for her to work with me. And that was her requirement. And I was kind of like, 
yeah, I'll get abstinent. You know, I, I, I got to work the steps. And I didn't really know what that meant. Like to her, I guess, I guess it meant for one thing, no sugar, but I didn't really know like, okay, abstinence, but she told me I could define my own abstinence. So anyway, um, we worked through the big, we were starting to work in the big book and we worked together for about four months and I was doing great. I was losing weight. I, I wasn't checking my weight, but I knew I was losing weight as part of this, you know, spiritual change that I was, you know, exploring with her. And, um, but I was not abstinent from sugar. Um, I didn't have a defined abstinence. I didn't call in my abstinence or anything like that. So, but I had told her a couple times, you know, my attempt was my, my goal for myself was to be honest with someone what I was eating. And I thought that should be my sponsor to be honest, you know, because it's so easy to hide. And I just wanted to be, if I'm not talking about what I'm eating, then I felt like it was some kind of a secret or something. So anyway, but I did mention to her when I had, you know, when I had eaten some sugar a couple times. And one day, um, it just came really clear that we were on totally different trajectories. Like, we thought we understood and we were on the same page, but we were not. Um, and she was upset because she thought I had uh, deceived her about being abstinent. And... I was upset because I felt like I'm really trying to be honest here and tell the truth about where I'm at, but she doesn't want honesty. She wants abstinence. So that was the end of that relationship. And, but it was a turning point for me because I've always been a people pleaser and I've always kind of been afraid of authorities and, I didn't, I wasn't afraid at that, you know, at that moment, I stood up for me in that situation. I didn't just go, oh yeah, you're right, I'm a terrible person and go back into the punishing behavior. I was really straightforward with her and that that's hard for me. And I, I'm learning it now, but, and I, I told her my point of view. So I'm trying to be honest, but I don't think I can work with you anymore because I can't be honest. If you can't be honest with your sponsor, what's the point? So, so that ended. And uh, after that, I, that's, I think the moment when I found that I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to punish myself. I'm not going to fight and struggle with myself over what I look like or what I'm eating. I decided at that moment, compassion was what I needed more than anything. And so I started on this path of compassion no matter what. So I would, when I had a thought that was harsh or when I had a guilty feeling or I felt ashamed, I would face that and I would, I would face it with compassion and I would, I would look at myself as a wounded person, not a bad person, you know.
And I also want to throw in that um, I started attending another step, 12 step group, adult children of alcoholics and, um, and dysfunctional families. And um, that program was so gentle and I've, I identified so much coming from a, a neglect and some weird, you know, everybody has dysfunction, but anyway, coming from some neglect and things like that. Um, but I found just so much kindness there. And um, I think it taught me, it taught me how to have compassion for myself by hearing it and being part of a group that was so kind and that helped each other be kind to themselves and to each other. Um, so, so then I found some, uh, I found some books that were not OA approved literature that gave me some more support on this journey because I thought I'm just gonna, it's just gonna be me, I'm on this journey. I don't know if I belong in OA anymore. Maybe people don't want me, want to hear what I have to say. I didn't want to blow up anybody's program or upset anybody, you know, but I just knew I don't really, I just can't do away the way I've always done it, you know. Um, also, I, you know, I went through some depression and I had to find a reason to keep going. I had to find a purpose for my life beyond what I thought my life was going to be. And I think that's pretty common, like midlife stuff. But um, so I started to really think, well, what are the things that I, that really do make me happy? What are the things that I, who am I, you know, besides this battle with what I look like, you know, there's, there's so much else in my life. And um, so I started adding in the things I love that give me joy and building back my zest for life joined a choir that has a peace um, focus and um, got music back in my life and I did a I worked with a friend who does holistic nutrition counseling I did it like an eight-week thing with her and it was just because I had to take better care of myself I was depressed I, you know and it was all about self-care what do I like what do I love what what do I want for my life and um, I learned to feed myself through that experience with, uh, she's a holistic uh, nutritionist, so she's sort of the, the non-certified type, sort of the woo-woo type of, of a nutritionist. But um, I learned compassion there too. I learned drink water, it's good for you, you know? When you're hungry, eat. Eat something, you know, eat something healthy if you can, but try to eat the best thing you can get. But when you're hungry, eat, you know. Because um, I, I know, like, a lot of people that binge, like myself, uh, also restrict. But I just never realized that I was doing it. Like, I just wouldn't eat most of the day, and then I would just binge all night. So, um I learned to eat like every four hours. I learned to bring food that was healthy and that I had chosen during the same moment, bring it with me and to plan ahead, taking care of myself instead of 
pretending that I didn't need to eat and that I didn't have any needs. So, um, so after that experience and then starting to add back into my life things that gave me joy, um, yoga is one thing that gives me a lot of joy. And I, I know a lot of people in, who have food and body issues have found a lot of peace and healing and reconnection to their body through yoga. Well, I've been doing yoga since, you know, 10, more than 10 years and thinking about, oh, maybe one day I'll do yoga teacher training, you know. But, um, so I ended up, I ended up at this different yoga studio taking some drop-in classes with a woman who does um, yoga therapy and works with all kinds of needs that people have, stroke, MS, um, and discovered that there's such a thing as adaptive yoga and that yoga doesn't have to be about sports. It doesn't have to be about sweating and punishing your body into a certain shape, that it could be like all my life, I hated, I hated exercise. I hated gym. You know, when you're a fat kid, it's like torture, you know, like when I was in school, they made us run a mile, like out of nowhere. Like you've never run, you never run. But one day they're like, well, we're doing the president's fitness test. Everybody's going to run a mile. You know, I lived in fear of that stuff. And then it's not only that you can't run the mile and that your side is about to split open. Everybody finishes before you and waits for you at the end, you know, and then they do the pity clap when you come through the, you know, I mean, I had so many bad experiences with gym and exercise. No wonder I didn't want to connect to my body. You know, I have so much sadness in that. Um, so anyway, but I decided I'm going to do this yoga teacher training because I want to do it. It gives me joy and I'm going to do it. So I signed up and uh, it's better than I ever imagined it would be, even though COVID-19 happened. We only met once for, for a weekend. And then now we've been doing it all on Zoom for the rest of the year. But the first weekend that we did the teacher training, I was nervous. You know, I'm like, I'll probably be the only fat one. You know, they'll all be like in these yoga bodies with their little cute outfits. And it wasn't like that at all. It was like most of the women were my age, you know, middle-aged, some older, some younger. All of them had their own reasons and their own body issues and their own shapes and none of them were perfect none of us were perfect and there was so much gentleness so much kindness and that's continued like this year as I've done the yoga training it's, it's all about observe accept honor respect your body and um but that first weekend was hard I was so frustrated with my body. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I blamed it on being fat, you know, of course. And, um, and then what came up was anger, just a lot of anger. And I, I have stuffed my anger my whole life. 
But all this anger came up because when I started, when I couldn't do something in the class, the response of the instructor was, if it hurts, back off. Be kind. If that's uncomfortable, just rest. I mean, everything was like that. And, and just looking back over 50 years of hating exercise and hating my body and being angry at my body because it couldn't do what other people were telling me I should be able to do. Um, I just was like, why didn't anybody tell me? When I was a kid, when I was a little chubby kid, why didn't anybody tell me that exercise could be great, that connecting to your body could be amazing? Why wasn't that taught to kids in school? Why was it about we all have to be here? And if you're not here, you suck, you know? Why do we all have to be here? We're all different, you know? Everybody's different. Everybody is different. And um, so I just continue to learn that um, and to try, you know, today I had a bad body image day because I watched the wrong thing on YouTube yesterday. And um, it was so much hate, just it's incredible how much hate people have for fat people. It's just incredible. And, and I don't think it's at fat people. I think it's hate that we have for ourselves because we believe we're not good enough that's where it comes out but um so uh, this yoga course <laughs> is a challenge in many ways um but it's it's been so good during the shutdown to have this opportunity to get to know myself better and to take care of myself better and um i started out saying, you know, I'm doing a yoga course, but it's not for anybody else. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to go teach the world yoga. It's for me. It's for me. It's for my body. It's for me. And I continue to hold on to that, although I think I probably will teach because I have enough passion for it that I want to pass on. I want to pass on the joy of movement to people um, and the healing of being at home in your body. Um, but right now I'm just, I'm doing it for me, you know? Um, and that's kind of new for me too, to not do something because I want to help somebody else, but to do it just because I need it. And I've had 50 years of not paying attention to my body and it's time for that to end, you know? So, um, I think that's all I have. Um, thank you for listening. I talked a long time. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. If anybody has a question, if we have time for that. We do have time for that. We have a couple yeah. of hands up. Yeah, any Q&A that you guys have for either of us, I'd love to. Trish, do you want to just call on people? Um, sure. I'd like to invite people to raise their hands. And what I'm talking about is the little blue hand. And how you do that is under participants. Uh, there should be raise your hand. Um, so please feel free to raise your hand and I'll call them in the order in which they've been raised. Uh, we have Kathy. Uh, go ahead, Kathy. I will ask you to unmute. 
Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a compulsive eater, recovering anorexic bulimic, and um, like to thank Adina. And the second speaker was Sherry. I just love you. You know, you are such a your uh, kindness and sweetness shown through. And I want you to know, uh, I've probably lost. 25 pounds from my top weight, but I have all the same feelings as you. And I've been in OA. I started my first meeting when I was 16, so it's been like 48 years. Um, but, you know, there's a word zeitgeist, which means kind of the general feeling. And I think that OA goes through stages. And I think there is a stage because I'm right where you guys are in terms of you know, I just got this body image, the new book, um, and I went on YouTube and I looked up um, body image affirmations. And I also am at this point, I'm really getting, because I'm in therapy and stuff, to stop being mean and negative. My thinking was, I was like a Nazi with myself and the self-hatred and anger and, you know, I just loved what you, I'm, I'm so happy for you for going and doing the yoga thing and for letting up on yourself. And, you know, I mean, I have to say, I believe, you know, I don't weigh and measure, but I have a food plan. I believe in that. And I believe in meetings. And I'm also really big on do the steps no matter what, because I'm in another two programs and they could be smoking, doing porn. Who knows what they're doing? They're still working the steps. You just got to start where you are. That's I'm like, do those steps no matter where you are. Keep doing them because you you shed things when you're able. But um, I guess what I'm saying is I really commend and applaud the feeling of changing our thinking. I've really just gotten into that so much about starting to love myself and accept myself. I have hated my thighs and my butt for years. And I'm, I, I, I think there's a feeling like I have like you guys, I'm sick of doing that. I'm sick of hating it. I, I mean, I will keep exercising and following my food plan going to meetings and doing footwork but and I want to love myself and I want to accept my thighs I want I'm sick of them stopping me from wearing shorts or I'm sick of w walking into a room and being self-conscious um so I think you're hitting on a nerve, at least with maybe some of us old timers that have been around for years. Um, this is good. So let, let's love ourselves and accept ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks. Can I just say we started getting Zoom bombed. I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, I, um, I, I, I used the security to lock the meeting and enable the waiting room because um, there was some, some nasty stuff. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I saw it right away. So um, I hope that's okay. Did you um, kick him out or did you? There was three guys that came on and they were showing porn and giant hamburgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
saw the hamburger and I stopped that video. Okay, yeah. so so I just gonna... I just locked the meeting and so so and I put and I enabled the waiting room. I could unlock it and it would just mean the waiting room and you could you could talk to the people who were in the waiting room or we could okay. just lock it and not let anybody else in. I mean it's that's, that's it's a pretty good plan. Yeah. yeah, it's late. So know. we'll go with that. And our next hand up is from Madonna. I've unmuted you, Madonna. Thank you. There was someone uh, before me. I don't know. Um, uh, she She's now behind you. Okay. Um, yeah, that was a little disturbing. Uh, right. I know it's nobody's fault, but, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I am in several 12-step groups, and one of them is partners of um, SNON, partners of sex addicts. So that always goes, to me. <laughs> um, the, and uh, the reason that I bring that up is, as an outside issue, I won't dwell, but to say that uh, a lot of my self-image and weight gain at a very early age was protection. Mm -hmm. So I had to be very gentle with myself about weight gain and start losing weight um, meant that I had to um, understand that I did the best thing for me was to protect myself with a circle of flesh to make myself less, what I, I assume I assumed made myself less desirable, although desire is not the issue, but um, less approachable. I turned myself neutral at the age of 14 and gained 60 pounds in a year. And, 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 and I'm 62 now, so it's been a long journey. Um, but one of the things I want to say now, I'm I'm also in another Al-Anon 17 years, but I'm very recent OA. This is my third year. Um, and I have gone in and out of abstinence uh, of uh, in terms of abstinence in terms of actual food substances. Um, but and 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 abstinence in terms of compulsive thinking. That seems to be the big one for me. Abstinence from compulsive thinking more than compulsive eating. I'm, I'm not, I don't uh, eat lots of food, but I do eat foods. And I have to say that there are definitely certain foods that if I eat, I become compulsive in my thinking. And if there's a trace element left in my body, I am irritable, restless, and discontent, and hugely distracted and diverted from life at hand. I escape my body again, and I find that as I get older, my desire to lose weight is certainly not about attracting partners at this point in my life. I'm supremely happy living alone in the grasslands, um, but that I like to hike, and I like to walk, and I don't want issues with hips and knees. Um, and I like to wear the hiking and walking clothes that, that feel comfortable. That's true too. But I am amazed at the degree to which, and anybody of the speakers who want to address this, because there was mention of, I don't want to feel deprived. Well, I remember when I got clean, so the trace element of the substance, the food in my body that triggers um, the distractive thinking, once it was completely out of my body and I was abstinent, I had never been calmer in my life. I had never felt freer. I did not feel deprived. I felt free. It was the exact opposite 
of deprived. So I am a little troubled and anxious when somebody says, maybe you're just afraid of that food and maybe you could eat it. Because every time I say that with my sick mind, I go right back into that distracted, dis this irritable, restless, and discontent. So my interest is much more in staying abstinent. But what I do want to thank you about, Adina, when you said something about now, whether that's your practice now or not, it will help me. When I started this program, I had a food plan, but I was so strict that I was hungry and I was bound, bound to flip, right? Because I was starting to use will to keep me from not eating more than the food plan. Now I'm willing to, um, to eat more and realize it'll take me longer to lose weight, but it's not, I'm not using it as a weight loss plan. And I, I'm saying that so recently as of like last week, it had been a, a weight loss plan and at 62, I'm just not losing it anyway. So if I lose it because I'm peaceful and not restless, I, I, that's great. But I really want that spiritual program. I want to stay in the sunlight of the spirit, which abstinence gives me. So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. Thanks, Madonna. Did you have a question or was that just a share? I think that was just. Sorry, I, I muted her. Uh, I don't think, I don't think so. No, I, I really, um, I'm, I'm, I do get confused when you talk about your abstinence. Are you talking about foods and thinking, distracted thinking, or are you talking mostly about food? So that is a side question, yeah. So abstinence is defined as the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors uh, while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I, I, abstinence doesn't really refer to, to foods, it refers to eating and behaviors. So when people say I'm abstinent from sugar, that's actually kind of a misunderstanding of the definition of abstinence. Um, it's, it's refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while, while working towards maintaining healthy body weight. So, so when people, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, the def, that's the OA official definition of abstinence. So individual plans of eating, a plan of eating is a tool that can be used to help us achieve and maintain abstinence. And everybody has a different plan of eating. Um, my, uh, my nutritionist calls plans of eating like a cast that you wear. Um, sort of a tool like when you've spent many many years in disordered eating like lots of restricting and binging restricting and binging uh or purging or whatever that um that a plan of eating is is something that you use to learn to eat abstinently um so it's not something that you know it's it's something that you would learn so that you would then achieve abstinence which is refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors but Plan of eating and abstinence are not the same thing. Plan of eating is a tool that you use to achieve abstinence. It used to be plan of, when, when I first came into OA, abstinence was a tool. And then they recognized that abstinence is actually sobriety around food, which is 
refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. So I don't eat compulsively. I don't, I, I am abstinent from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. One of my compulsive food behaviors is restricting. So I don't restrict any foods or food groups because that's a kind of compulsive, that's a compulsive food behavior. I don't know if that makes sense. Did that make sense? Okay. Thank you, Dana. Um, so we have Kelly up next. Kelly, I'm unmuting you. Hi, everybody. Um, this was really awesome. I'm kind of new at this, but I wanted to, I've been, I, I wanted to share this epiphany that I had um, about a week ago. I've been um, looking into a lot of consciousness um, theories and things like that. And I, so I came up with this epiphany and um, it may or may not help anyone. Um, but I figured that people are like an oyster on the outside. We have this hard shell, our walls that we have to protect ourselves from the outside. And inside we have this meat uh, that is our body. And below that is a pearl. And to me, the, the meat, you know, did uh, make the pearl. It took a piece of sand and over time it made this pearl. And um, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that my body is not me at all. It's just something I was born into. It has nothing to do with me as a pearl because that's my soul. And I, you know, we were born perfect. We were, like someone said, we were born perfect. I just was born into this thing. We were all born into this thing and it has nothing to do with my soul. Um, so that's just the epiphany that I had and it has helped me a lot. It, because it's not who I'm, I'm not going to die with this body. I mean, I'm going to die with this body, but I'm shedding this body when I die. So um, that's just an epiphany I had, and I wanted to share that. And, and besides, the oyster filters out all the crap that I'm swimming through the ocean, you know, so it's, it's helped me a lot. And, uh, but I, do, I really did love the speakers and what everyone has shared. So I am new, and... Um, I'm learning every time I go to a meeting. So thanks for letting me share that. Thank you, Kelly. Nancy, you're up next, and I was just about to take a break. Nancy, is it possible for you to wait for the other side of the break, or do you need to go now to share now? Oh, sorry, let me unmute you. There's a question in the chat box. How late does this go on to? It goes until 4 Pacific time. Yeah, I need to go because I thought it was until 3.30 and I have somebody coming over here that's having a hard time. Okay, would you like to ask your question or make your comment now? Yeah, I really would. Okay. My, my name is Nancy Beecham and um, I am a compulsive overeater. And I always say before I say anything in Overeaters Anonymous that Overeaters Anonymous did not open up the gates of heaven and let me in. Overeaters Anonymous opened up the gates of hell and let me out. And for those of you that are new, I want you to know 
that I have been a member of Overeaters Anonymous for 44 years. The founder of this program by the name of Roseanne Scholar was my sponsor. I happened to live a block or two away from her and I was grounded by Jean Smith, who was my first sponsor, who was our spiritual Dr. Bob before she died. And um, I'm maintaining 150 pound weight loss for about 43 years. And I believe in my heart that any moron can lose weight in this program. But to maintain it, there's not a lot of us. And those of us that have are very close. We have our own meetings and we talk all the time and we all sound exactly alike. We all feel that when we got here, we were beaten to a pulp. We were like an alcoholic with no teeth who was bleeding and hiding in the bushes. And we believe that we are just sick of suffering and we were tired of struggling, and we came to this program, and we asked somebody, what should I do? And every time we said, I think this, or I'll do that, we got in a lot of trouble, because this is a we program. And I have a lot of confusion, because some of the things I've heard today are certainly not what came out of the mouth of our founder, because Roseanne believed that we had to separate a food plan, very much a food plan from a abstinence. And for her, abstinence was how she behaved. And she came into this program because she was very short and chunky. And she spent her life bickering with her husband, Marvin, kind of neglecting her kids, worrying about what she was going to eat, not getting along with her mother. And she wanted to be able to somehow be there for her mom as she got older and sick, even though she felt like she hated her. And she wanted to help those children but she couldn't be bothered because she was always irritable, restless, and discontent. And it's through Jim Willis of Gamblers Anonymous that he drew her attention to something in the big book of AA. And it says very clearly in the doctor's opinion, and if you're new, please write this down, the doctor's opinion, which is before the steps begin, the most important thing in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, we must be completely abstinent in order to work those steps. He told Roseanne, aside from willingness, you need clarity and you will never understand this and stay here. I don't care about being absent five, 10, 15 years because I was crazy at 15, 20 years in this program of abstinence. When you took away my food, you took away my arms and legs. And I wanna tell you, Roseanne wanted to be healthy. She had a cousin who was fat, who had a heart attack and one that had a stroke. I have, oh my God, I have sponsored bulimics who are 30 years old, who had an atrial fibrillation and whose teeth are falling out. This is not a matter of fat, being fat and about not liking your bodies. The people in Los Angeles, I pray for every one of you, you get to O-A-L-A-I-G.org and come to Serenity Sunday and come to light a candle and come to our meetings and hear about recovery and how we love each other and we put our arms and our hands in each other and take care of each other and when we're sick we show up at the hospital and we when people are getting divorces we go to the courthouse and then I don't know what kind of OA and where you guys are from but I just had to tell you the other side of this program in the first eight years before she died Roseanne wrote a book called I put my hand in yours and said don't let them change this thing and you guys have changed away a lot, as our last little person that shared said. Overeaters Anonymous was founded to be about love and kindness and support and 
boo to anybody who ever says a bad thing about it. Because if you're a day better than the day before you got here, you need to bless this program and bless the people that founded it and the people who walked ahead. People walked ahead and suffered and struggled. You don't have to. You can walk in their footprints and walk in their shadows. Call up all the old timers, drain them dry. Call up all the speakers, go on meetings now in New York and Los Angeles. There's so many people who were working this thing. And I'll close by telling you what Roseanne shared with me. I said, Nancy, this is about coloring. It's about jump roping. It's about walking out and being proud of who you are. It's not about being famous like you're trying to have this famous job. It's not about making your kids be beautiful because you don't think you are. This is about just being. And you know what? If every day you can help some person in this program and breathe life into someone, you'll be the most successful woman on earth. And that's what recovery is about. And I do want to say that fat serenity, as Roseanne told me, was hardly ever mentioned today. What fat serenity is to us in Los Angeles is when you are at world service and you're standing up there as a trustee or you're sponsoring 40 people, but you have a lot of weight to lose, which means possibly, and I thought I had all these conditions and things wrong with me, but when I started accepting responsibility for the things I did and I started getting honest and I started doing all the work and I started becoming accountable and I started realizing that I didn't have to be in fear of anything anymore. And I started letting into my life only people who were kind to me. And I quit my job and I moved and I started to sacrifice and I started to change my people, places and things. I realized that this is really a wonderful world and that I deserved everything good and kind for me. And the thoughts I had were great. I just couldn't jam them down people's throat. I had to say them with love and kindness. So you've taught me to fit in this world as I was, but for my own health, it's important that every person I let in my house is good to me, that every morsel of food I put in my body is something that's gonna nurture me. And if I use that nurturing, trust me, you will not be that heavy anymore. Thank you. All right, thanks, Nancy. And um, we're, we now really need to take a break at least I do. I think it's only fair. And so we will come back at 10 after. Does that work for you, Adina? Or do you want to look? Okay. And I know I see Kate and Deb Cat and Lori, uh, you, I mean, Marie, uh, you have raised your hands. Please leave them that way and you will get called in that order. If anybody else would like to raise their hand, please do so. But we're going to come back in, in 10 minutes. Recovery a program of 12 simple steps. By following these steps, thousands of OA members have stopped eating compulsively. I take that to be a promise that by following the steps, we can stop eating compulsively. In OA, we have no program of diets and exercise, no scales, no magic pills. What we do have to offer is far greater than any of these things a fellowship in which we find and share the healing power of love. Awesome. Uh, Katie O, are you ready to, to share? Excuse me, Trish, um, yes. before, Kate, before Kate 
sorry, Kate. There was, there was a question in the chat box. So when we get after Kate, maybe we could address that one. From Jacqueline. I think she already asked it. She was the first person to ask a question. Oh. But Kate, um, I have asked you to unmute, which means you have the authority to unmute. Okay. Hi, uh, I'm Kate. I'm a compulsive eater restrictor. Thank you so much, Adina and Sherry, for um, for this meeting and for sharing. Um, and I saw the topic when I saw the flyer. I saw the topic of fat serenity, and I had really mixed feelings about it because I think it's I think it has been a divisive term. So for me, I came into program at 550 pounds and I have lost yeah. weight, but I'm not what people would consider a normal weight by any measure. Um, and I, I, I sponsor, I've done all the steps multiple times. I'm on my intergroup board. I've been to region. I've been, you know, I do lots of service and um, it's just really hard for me to know that like I've had so much recovery and yet I've been taken aside by individual members who want to tell me I shouldn't be sponsoring because I'm still overweight and I shouldn't be an intergroup rep because I'm overweight and I'm, I make the, I make OA look bad. What is the newcomer going to think when they see me speaking in a meeting, right? They're going to think the wrong thing. So I'm, so I do have a question in this. Um, so my question for Adina and Sherry is like, do, do you have, any um any opinions or any skills or anything for raising that as an issue publicly in a meeting um raising it as an issue at intergroup um or how how can that be dealt with as a community do you have any opinions on that um i think it's really hard because i know for me i came to oa because i wanted to be thin and if somebody had said, you can eat anything you want, all the chocolate chip cookies you want, and you will be a size six, I would have been like, bring it on. And um, I pursued that as a goal. Um, I, I believe that the spiritual malady is um, looking for something outside myself to fix myself, to redefine who I am. And I wanted to pursue the thin ideal to make myself feel that that was who I was, um, when really who I am is so much more than my body. Um, I'm lively, talkative, chatty, funny, smart, grouchy, judgmental sometimes. Um, and I'm also in a certain type of body. And I think that there's a myth that um, everyone is supposed to be in, in a certain type of body. And uh, one of the previous speakers mentioned having quote unquote weight to lose. I don't have any weight to lose. You don't have any weight to lose. You just have weight. But there's this misconception that 
you have weight to lose because there's this hierarchy of bodies. And at the top is thin, white, young, able-bodied, and male. But we all want to get up that hierarchy up to the thin, white, and it's oppressive. It's oppressive. And one of the reasons why I wanted to be thin was, like, like other speakers have talked about, to be sexually attractive, to be attractive to people. That's not my problem that I'm not attractive to people who don't like Zoftig. That's their problem. That's society's problem. So it's really sad that in Overeaters Anonymous, where we're supposed to share the healing power of love, that that diet culture and fat phobia creeps in. And if you read Roseanne's story, it's all numbers on the scale. First I was this weight, then I was that weight, then I went up, then I went down, then I went up, then I went down. Her whole story is about gaining and losing weight. Um, you know, God bless her. It's not what I want. She did not have what I, you know, she doesn't have what I want. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's a really, I, I, I don't know what to do. I know a lot of people who have left away because they've had repeated attempts to lose weight and they haven't been able to. And yes, there are people who lost a lot of weight and kept it off, but the percentage of people is the same in Overeaters Anonymous as it is in uh, the general population for restricting your caloric intake, increasing your exercise and shrinking your body, two to 3% of people can do that. Now, does that mean I don't have the grace of God because I haven't been able to do that? I don't believe that. So I don't know what to, I don't know what to do except to keep speaking out and keep saying, you know, healthy body weight is an outside issue. It's something to be discussed with healthcare providers. And I know there's a lot of fear. I know there's a lot of stuff in the dominant culture about the war on obesity. Um, if you look at BMI and you look at the origins of BMI, you can see that it's, uh, it's deeply flawed. Um, so I, I just, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I don't know if I could do what, um, what you're doing. I, I, I really don't. It's, it, it takes a power greater than yourself. But this fat phobia is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And uh, we need a higher power. That's all I got. Sorry. I wanted to speak to that if I could. Um, Kate, thank you for the question. Good question. And I didn't really it, answer it. No, but I just wanted to say that I, re I remember, well, we had talked before about uh, the change that they made at World Service about adding in that piece, uh, working toward or maintaining a healthy weight. And I wasn't involved with the discussion or anything, but I know that it was a difficult, a difficult issue at World Service and that there were lots of people on both sides of that uh, issue. And, you know, we're not going to resolve it if we want unity to be our, our first principle. You know, we're not going to resolve it as a world thing. Um, but I think it's good to note that, you know, there are different, there are different ways of thinking about this. And 
and I loved what Kristen said. It's like we all have our own journey and the own our own speed of the process that we're in. And you know, you could look at me in 2004 when I was young and I was thin and I was pretty and I was attractive and I had lots of people that were interested in talking to me because of because of that. But I was panic I was having panic attacks. I was unhappy. I was lonely. You know, it's like you can't look at the outside of a person and think that you know how recovered they are. And it's it's so much more than that. And I think it's easy to point fingers at how someone looks and make a judgment. But I know that there are a lot of people that are in the same boat, like um, people who are in the same boat as Kate. Um, you're in the you're in your process, you know. It's like nobody can just it, it, judge not, lest you be judged. That's what I wanted to say. It's like who are you to judge, you know? And I mean, I I respect that we have founders and that we have people that have been around for a long time and I can learn from them but I think that there's also things that are changing in the current you know in the current world that can also change away you know we can change this program and the more we know the more we'll change the program you know and uh, anyway that's that's what I wanted to say So now we are on Deb Cat. I am unmuting you. Hi, my name's Debbie. I'm an emotional overeater, and I really appreciate this topic. Um, my question to Adina was, you mentioned three things for abstinence, and I didn't get those. I don't know if you can type them in the chat so I can see them. I can see them. Yeah, I got them from Rhonda, the speaker at the Region 1 convention a while ago. Uh -huh. um, and they were, um, I abstained from negative self-talk or negative thinking. And I, I think, I actually think she got them from someone, somewhere else, you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard them, I've heard speakers talk about it before. I yeah. uh, abstained from doing it perfectly. Okay. And abstained from leaving OA. Oh, leaving. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate the courage because I've been in OA probably eight, nine years, and I've been conflicted in terms of the rigidity that I've come across and just some people share that you don't know the other person's story. They could have lost 200 pounds. And we still, like you brought up, we still have the fat phobia that I think we don't address well enough in OA in terms of, I don't know if it would be a tool that needs to get added or whatever, in terms of we're bringing society into OA. You know, we're swallowing, drinking the Kool-Aid of we're not good people because we're fat or we don't, we're not deserving because we're fat and that kind of stuff. And um, so I really appreciate that because it's really hard to buck the trend. And I don't disrespect the people who found OA, but that revival meeting attitude is very off-putting and uh, very exclusive in terms of if you don't do it 
our way, this way, if you don't feel it this way, if you don't approach it this way, you know, you're just, you're just not, not part of the meeting. And the great thing to me about OA is it's a place for people to hopefully have a soft landing to finally take a breath and be able to say, wow, I need a place where people, where I can be honest. That was the other thing with Sherry. If you can't be honest with your sponsor, then why are they sponsoring? You know what I mean? If, if it's just the continuation of the rigidity, you know, maybe sponsors need to be able to say, okay, I'm not the sponsor for you without judgment or without making the person who wants a sponsor to feel rejected. So, I mean, I think it's great that you're bringing up these topics because I think it's the kind, it's almost like the underground where people think that, but don't feel safe being able to say it. So, thanks very much again. Thank you. Um, Marie from Maryland, you're up next. Great, thank you so much. I'm Marie, um, compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Thank you. I am so grateful for Sherry and Adina, and I'm also grateful for all the other people who shared. Um, I, I can't tell you how much this has meant to me. In fact, Debbie, the person who spoke just before me, stole my question. I wanted to ask Adina to repeat the beautiful um, things, abstain from doing things perfectly. I knew that was what I needed to hear because um, I didn't get them all when you said them before. So thank you, thank you. Um, I have often said my weight loss goal is peace. I just want peace from that, you know, chaos of needing crazy food behaviors. So thank you all for today. That's it. I'm, I'm, I pass. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Marie. And phone number ending in one, two, three, two. You are now up. I'm unmuting you. Hi there, uh, this is Sherry. Um, hi, Sherry and Adina. Thank you so much for, uh, and actually on my phone, you guys can hear me okay? Yes. Okay, perfect, thanks. Um, yeah, just a, a, a comment and then a question. Um, I totally also uh, really appreciate uh, everything that you've had to say. I've gotten a lot out of it. I've been in program for many, many years, and I've always believed that, um, you know, the problem is not, my size the problem is that I think I'm less of a person in the world depending on my size and I've been anywhere from you know 265 to 140 pounds and I'm 5'11 so I've been all over the map um, and still often felt the same way um, regardless of my size so I really appreciate the um, you know mention of the big book that it's when the spiritual malady is overcome we straighten out mentally and physically um, and I always think about um, when it comes to, you know, judgment about people with their size, I um, have a friend, not someone uh, who is in program, but um, who uh, was running in uh, the woods and she was attacked by a man and was sexually assaulted. And she is a beautiful, beautiful girl. And she got, you know, went to the hospital and a nurse 
said to her something about her being so beautiful and a police officer said something about her being so beautiful. And somehow the, uh, there was, they implied somehow that it was because of her beauty. She's just so irresistible that this happened. And so she um, proceeded to then gain 100 pounds, um, thinking somehow that that made her less desire- desirable and less of a victim. And I think, you know, how is it that somehow... I would expect as an OA member that she should lose weight to then be recovered. Um, like, why is it my business at all to have any um, thoughts at like, it's just not my place to have any business thinking about what somebody else weighs and the reason they weigh it and where they're at. It's just like, this is a program where we support each other. We care about each other. We show up for each other um, irregardless of all of those outside essential yeah, those, those outside judgments. So, you know, having said that, how is it that, um, have you, have you had those judgments placed upon you by other OA members, like in your community and how have you handled it? If that has ever come up for you? Um, that's a really good question. Um, one thing I like to say is, um, I think that people, I think that we give thin people the benefit of the doubt. And there's a term for that. It's called thin privilege. So um, people with thin privilege, and I have thin privilege, frankly, because, you know, I'm like a size 12 or something. Um, I think in OA, people who are thin get listened to more. I think when you enter a room, I think we all do it. I mean, we enter an OA meeting and scan the room and think, um, oh, who's bigger than me? Who's smaller than me? It's so insidious, cunning, baffling, powerful. I had a recent experience. I have a dear friend who's in recovery from bulimia and she's in an OA. Um, and I, she was doing something with her ninth step and she wanted a second opinion. She had a sponsor who wasn't that experienced um, in doing the steps. And uh, I had done some step work with her as her sponsor a number of years ago. And she said to this woman, um, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna contact my friend Adina. I just want to see what she says about such and so. And, you know, she has a lot of experience with the steps and she's super spiritual, you know, People always think I'm so spiritual. And the woman's response was, well, how thin is she? And, you know, that's a yardstick that people use, you know, thin, thin. And, and I think it's hard one when it says we straighten out mentally and physically, that doesn't mean we're going to be skinny. It just doesn't mean that. It means mentally and physically, we will not have the food obsession and we will not have disordered behaviors like binging. Binging is mindless eating of mass quantities of food to the point where you feel really full and sick and uncomfortable. Like nobody's saying that you can't recover from that, but you might recover from all disordered eating behaviors and still be in a larger body. And I think that's got to be something that we continue to say again and again and again. And you might be in a smaller body and you might be in that case.
I would like to speak to that. I didn't quite catch the question though, but um, would you repeat your question actually? It was a story that wasn't clear. Are you there? No? Yeah, the question was when you are confronted with people who judge you by your body size in OA, what do you do? How do you respond to that? Oh, God. You know, to me, it's so subtle. Like the majority of people are not going to come up to you and say anything, right? Um, but I know that it, it's very hard to go back to OA if you have been a quote unquote OA queen or OA star or whatever which it seems like we all take turns sitting on the throne at one point or another through recovery, um, depending on where we're at, you know. Um, someone comes in and they have a huge weight loss and like everybody's like, ooh, 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 how'd you do it, how'd you do it, right? They become royalty, but it doesn't seem to last too long before there's other things they need to learn besides how to lose weight, you know. There are a lot of things we need to learn that take longer than losing weight, right? Um, and um, anyway, I, I can't say that I've been confronted by anyone in OA, um, but I think that, you know, I haven't gone to world service, which maybe if I did, I would be, I don't know. But there, there, are, there are some different schools of thought about, um, how to treat people that are relapsing, quote unquote, relapsing, or people that are struggling. And one of them is to confront them with it. And to, to me, it seems like to, to fake concern about this person while pointing out their weakness to them and saying, I noticed you put on 80 pounds. How can I be of help? You know, well, it's not your business, you know, really. But I guess that's my opinion. But that's one school of thought is the tough love way, right? The, um, there's one other term that I don't like that I've heard, I've heard uh, speakers use, which is we're hugging each other to death. And I think there's this idea that um, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die from being overweight. And there are a lot of people that are afraid of that, of dying from being overweight. And rightly so, like some people do, you know, I mean, but, it, but the point is it's everybody's, I own this body. This is my body. It's not your body to tell me what I should weigh or how I should take care of my health or whether I deserve or not. It's my body. I decide. I learn how to respect my body. I learn what I need. And I guess at, now that I'm 50, I don't have to listen to people that are maybe well-intentioned, but are actually just showing me that they're better than me by saying, oh, well, you can't do service because you're overweight. Sorry, keep trying, you know. But, you know, there's, there's these two schools of thought. I guess I fall on the other side. It's like, I know that I was on that other side 
where I was more like, well, I lost weight. Why can't you? You know, but we're all so different. Our bodies are so different. Our stories are different. We have reasons why we eat. And sometimes that eating is what saves our ass. I mean, people go through horrific things and they, and they use food to get through it. Well, thank God there was something to comfort you when you were going through a horrible experience. And maybe it sticks with you for life, you know? But there's no formula that says, if you're so, so many pounds overweight, you're gonna die so many years earlier. Or maybe there is, I'm not an actuary, but, but you know, I mean, my mom, my mom and dad were both overweight. Most of my family's overweight. My grandma lived to be 80 something. She was a bigger woman. Both my grandmas actually were bigger women. My other grandma died at 92, I think. My mom always talked about how she didn't like her saddlebags. She called them saddlebags, right, her hips. And she always would say negative things about her body. My mom's 78 now, almost 79. She told me like a year ago that she had a, she had a moment where she, the doctor came over for a home visit and said, okay, I want you to get out all your meds. And my mom said, what do you mean? She said, well, bring out all your medications because I want to see what you're taking. She's like, I don't take anything. Aspirin. You know, I mean, my mom had this awakening. She's just like, I have a darn good body. All my life I've been mad at my body because it didn't do what I wanted, right? She didn't, she didn't deal with cancer or, you know, horrible things that other people dealt with. But, I mean, it, it's not a formula. Life is not a formula. It's not like you, you add up all these things and then you get this. It doesn't happen that way. It's messy, like someone else said. We don't know how long we've got. And I don't want to spend my next 25 or 45 years, you know, being miserable and obsessing about food and weight. I don't want to do that. I'd love to be thin, thin, you know, but if I were going to find a formula, I would have found it by now. You know, it's, I'm not in charge. I'm obviously not in charge. So I'll pass with that. Right, thanks. I'm, I'm afraid I may have gotten a little bit lost and I can't remember whether I've called on Eleanor yet. I'm going to unmute you just in case you're Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Eleanor. I have not been called on. I am a okay, compulsive perfect. overeater. Hi, Eleanor. And uh, I just want to thank the presenters. I've really gotten so much out of this workshop. And thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Uh, I, I do have a question. Um, but before I say that, I, I have to say that I've been in OA a long time. And I've been a size 2, and I've been a size 22. And uh, when I went up to a 22, it was very hard to come to meetings and show up because, uh, you know, I had lost a lot of weight. And um, my sponsor said to me, you know, you are not your weight. And I always have to remember that. And uh, the other thing I heard that was really helpful in working the program is that uh, the phrase, what gets me sober might get you drunk. Or what gets you sober might get me drunk. And uh, we're not talking about alcohol, but 
you know, it's not one size fits all. It's 12 steps, but it's not one size fits all. And then um, the last thing I want to say before I ask my question is uh, the big book, um, they have not changed it since it came out originally, and I guess it was 1939. And, uh, but there have been four editions. And the reason there have been four editions is because they changed the stories. And they changed the stories because the fellowship changes. And they've learned things over time and things, you know, it's not the same as it was in 1939. So even though that basic text has remained the same, the stories have been changed to reflect the times we live in. So the program does have that within it that we can, can expand. To get to my question, I'd like to know how any of the presenters use the fourth step to deal with this whole issue of body size and body image. I know you all touch on the step some way, somewhat, but if you could expand on that, like how do you use that inventory process to deal with this issue? Thank you, and I'll pass. Thanks, Eleanor, for that question. That's a really good question. Um, I want to say there's almost a there's a there's a there's a very similar thing to what gets you sober gets me drunk. The OA 12 and 12. There's a part where it says, "What is a healthy choice for some may be deadly for others," and I think that's the same idea in terms of food plans. Everybody, everybody's needs are different. Everybody needs a different food plan. Um, well, not everybody needs an exactly different food plan. There's lots of different ways to plan what you're going to eat and, and, you know, et cetera. Um, I've taken a number of women through the steps around, specifically around body image. Um, and it's very easy to do, you know, just do the columns in the, in the big book, you know, list people, institutions, and principles that, you know, you're mad at. And I find it really helpful also to um, list things like confusion, guilt, you know, um, other things besides just resentment, fear, you know, so I, I just list all that stuff, you know, I'm afraid that I'm too fat to be of service in OA. I'm afraid that people aren't going to take me seriously. I'm afraid people are going to think I have fat serenity, right? I'm afraid of getting a heart attack, you know, because I, I'm, I'm, I have this certain BMI. Um, and then I can also list, you know, institutions and principles that I'm angry at. Um, I, I resent, uh, you know, um, weigh and pay programs. I resent uh, Roseanne. <laughs> I resent um, the fact that women have to look a certain way in order to, you know, be accepted. So I can just list all that stuff and then I can go through um, the columns. And when I get to my part, you know, where was I selfish, dishonest, fearful, and resentful today? Where am I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or afraid today? Um, I can look at the stories in my head that I may have internalized from diet culture um, and, 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 and I may have to educate myself, you know, if, if I am, uh, I'm afraid of dying of a heart attack because I have a certain BMI. Well, have I ever really looked up what BMIs are most likely to have a heart attack? Have I ever looked up what BMIs are most likely to have cancer? Have I ever really educated myself or am I just taking it for granted? Um, I have a resentment that I can't go hiking because I'm too fat. Well, there's fat hiking clubs, I'll tell you. 
So that's a story I'm telling myself, you know, I have to wait until I'm, uh, you know, I, I resent the fact that I have to wait until I'm a certain size to buy nice clothes, you know, well, that's not true. So a lot of those things in the fourth column are actually going to be dishonesty. They're going to be buying into a false narrative that I don't deserve to have really cute clothes when I'm a certain, until I get to be a certain, a certain size. I can't, you know, like Sherry said, I can't, I can't do yoga because, you know, that's for skinny people. Um, there's so many ways in which I can uncover these sort of old ways of thinking. And I keep going back to uh, page 27 of the big book where it says ideas that were once the guiding forces of these men are cast aside, suddenly cast aside. Um, and, and what new ideas do I want? Um, you know, I, sometimes I use um, the um, sex ideal on page 69 and I, and I ask people to do, I, we earnestly pray, pray for the right ideal in terms of body, what do I want? And most people actually, I don't think want to be skinny. I think they want to be healthy. They want to be loved, right? They want to all of those things. Like if you list, well, what when I when I'm saying to myself, I want to lose weight. Well, why do I want to lose weight? What do I really want? What is it that I want? And a lot of times it's I want to feel good about myself. Well, it has nothing to do with how much you weigh. I know plenty of people in OA who are low BMI, like bordering on unhealthy low BMI. And they're like, oh, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, when I was real small in, in OA, I remember once I went to the region one and, and there was that clothing exchange and uh, I saw this cute jacket and they were like, try it on. I was like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fit into that. It's tiny. And I tried it on, it fit perfectly. So body dysmorphia is a huge thing. And I think the steps will reveal a lot of this stuff. So thanks for the question. Okay, so we have Alice in line with our next question. Alice, I'm going to unmute you. So Alice, you are unmuted if you would like to make your comment or ask your question. Sorry, I was actually unmuted on my end too, so. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I already started. <laughs> Um, I'm Alice, compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic, and I just want to thank you for this topic. It it's just been an amazing experience to listen to, and um, I just want to know, especially for me and those who suffer anorexia and bulimia, that thin is not well. I mean, thin is where we are at our most miserable, and that. Um, I am not, what, what recovery has meant for me is that I am not in charge of my body size. I feed my body so that I am physically well and the size of my clothes is up to my higher power because my disease is rooted in my absolute need to control the size of my body. And um, my job is to practice sober eating meaning that I don't use food to escape from my emotions or from my life circumstances. 
and that um, I don't I don't get to decide the size of my body and that my body because I bought into that whole thin privilege thing um, I uh, have experienced a lot of uh, racial discrimination and for me I couldn't be blonde and white I can be thin that part I can do and I nearly killed myself trying to do that so what recovery has given me is taught me that my body is a vessel to do God's will and if my body is healthy and I can do God's will any wanting more than that is my disease talking to me and um and this whole BMI thing, that's, that's the part that tried to kill me, is trying to force my body into that ratio of number thing. And, um, and what my recovery promised me, pro I, what I get is a freedom from food obsession. And recovery promises me a life of useful, usefulness. It doesn't promise me a certain size. Freedom from my obsession and being of service of others. So I found that my job is to love myself and to care for others. That's what recovery is to me. And I wanted, I just wanna thank both of you and, and everyone who's shared that, you know, we all seek connection, unconditional acceptance. And that's what we should find when we walk into a room is just, just love. I mean, I went to a retreat once and said, show up for the love. You deserve the love no matter what your body size, no matter what your race, no matter what social or economic background you come from. You can find it in these rooms. So keep coming back. I'm sorry, I don't have a question. I just wanna thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alice. That's everyone we have in line. Did I just interrupt someone? Oh, I just wanted to make a comment um, a little bit about what Alice shared, but about what, what was shared throughout this workshop. Amazing workshop. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you all showed up. But um, I, you know, Adina and I and a couple others are we're mulling over whether we can make this into a meeting, like a, a focus meeting, and we're not sure like what name to give it, what emphasis to give it. Um, and you know, I think Adina, if you agree with me, we we would welcome some feedback on that as to what would be appealing to OA members as a meeting. And for me, like, I've tossed around lots of ideas, but just body respect, you know, is one big topic that's come up here of respect my own body, feed myself well, let my body take whatever form higher power has for my body to be, like Alice said, and letting go of this belief that, that I'm gonna get all this great stuff if I can control my appetite. 
or if I can manage my body or my weight. But um, like, like she said, and like Adina read earlier, this is a fellowship. We come together and we share the healing power of love. You can't change without love, you know. And that's one thing I've been trying to do with my own, changing my, my focus to compassion whenever I see, whenever I see harshness, um, to love, just to try and find the love. And I know that sounds really, you know, airy-fairy to some people, but I hated on myself for so long. That was like second nature. So it's not easy to switch and go, oh, that's a mean thought. What can I say that's nice to myself? It seems really weird at first, but it's changing me, you know? And I think like if we believe that love can bring about change, acceptance of ourselves, you know, I think that that's gonna lead to health more than, more than uh, you know, the, doing it the opposite way. But um, anyway, if, if any of you have feedback, my number's there. You can text me, my number's there, um, or call me. Um, and I think we would be, we would love to hear like feedback about what do people want and need? You know, what kind of meeting do we, do we need in OA? You wanna speak on that, Adina? We do, before you answer that, Adina, we do have one other person, oops, who had their hand up, but it yeah, went Yeah, Marie down. had her hand up, I saw that, but then it, it went, went down. down. Yeah. No, I like body respect. We were going to call it fat serenity. Well, I wanted to call it fat serenity because I was like, we boldly reclaim this term. But then other people were like, um, maybe that's, you know, people will be, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I'm so grateful for everybody who's shared. And, you know, I am grateful to, to Roseanne and to the old timers. Um, I do think that things do evolve. Um, you know, the big book is super sexist, as we all know. And, you know, I love Bill Wilson. I respect him. Um, I think he was great and an amazing student of human nature. And he also, you know, had other addictions that he didn't address. And um, I just don't want to be addicted to being thin. I think Kristen's iPhone raised her hand. So Kristen, yeah. I have, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I couldn't get myself unmuted. Yeah, I just, I'll get the lasting thought. Um, I can see why some of the people like the, the gal from LA was sharing that some people have a hard time with, you know, with some of the messages that you guys are bringing forth. And I've been in this program for, you know, 57. I've been in probably since I was in my late teens. And I think that the, what they're, they get put, their buttons get pushed, is that the essential 12-step program, that we can't lose track. I mean, everything you guys have shared, all the insights and the growth that you've gotten by doing things kind of outside of your fellowship that's been so helpful in your healing. And what I found, because I kind of left program, so I didn't leave program, but I did a lot of spiritual work on the outside. And what I found is that it got a lot of pushback if I came into the room and tried to say, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this because this is a place, especially for newcomers, it can be so confusing. They come in and they hear all the messages. 
And the 12-step program, that, that big book, is divinely inspired. And the true recovery is in doing the step work. It really is. And so it's like not losing sight of that. But what I do as a sponsor, what I do as somebody who shares in meetings, I can share experience, dreams, and hope of working with steps, but I can also share how I'm living my life differently and incorporating some of these things. But it's in the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with doing fellowship and calling and outreach calls and sponsoring, where all of these wisdom things that I've learned along the way that have been an adjunct to my program um, have been helpful. But I think that there's a big fear among people that especially just with food, with an eating disorder, it's not cut and dry like some of the other cells. So it is a lot more complicated. And I think though that we need to make sure that the newcomers know that the recovery and the reason that billions of people all over the world have gotten recovery from addiction with the big book and the steps, that that is the foundation of our program. And I think it can be easy sometimes to lose sight of that because we're so excited about all these insights we've had in other ways that are really helpful in our program. But I really believe that that's so important that we maintain that this is a 12-step fellowship. And the main purpose of the book is to help you find a power greater than yourself that can encourage you. And I lost that too. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't even get that one. You know, and even now, I have to keep reminding myself, it's nothing in the body, the weight, doing things perfectly not, is my relationship with God. And that's got to be the primary thing. And the only way I found that was really by just showing up, listening to people, keeping an open heart, open mind, being a happy learner. I don't know. I don't have to figure it out. And just really working on finding relationships with God. And, um, and so that, you know, I guess, you know, and again, I don't want to sound preachy and I hope it doesn't come across that way. You're just, I'm trying to share somebody who's been in this program a long time. And I have been up and down the road, but I know in my core that this is a divine program. And if you look at the traditions and why this program has survived all these years, is that we have to be true to the principles and the steps and, you know, principles before personalities and all that but share what you guys have experienced and all the, you know, the, the growth that you've had. Do it with your sponsors. You know? okay, so, 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 Kristen, our time you. is up for our Thanks, meeting. Barbara. That's Thanks. okay. And, and I see, Deborah, that you have your hand up and our, our time is up. So um, perhaps Adina and Sherry would be willing to sh uh, stay on um, to answer Deborah's question. Oops. I need to exit full screen so I can go back to my script. So I'm going to go ahead and close the meeting just to be respectful to, to close things on time. Um, thank you, Adina and Sherry, for being our speakers today. Please remember that OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide great speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members at this time. The second goal is to financially support the World Service Office. Please please give as much as you're able to show WSO how much we appreciate its work for us. After a moment of silence, will those of you who wish to please join us in the serenity prayer.
I'm going to unmute everyone, I think. Actually, I'm going to give you permission to unmute yourselves if you'd like to join in. God, to accept the things that cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I will stay on for a bit longer so that the meeting stays open. Um, go ahead and we'll stop recording.